Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I have some personal news to share. My new book, Motherhood Unstressed, Meditations on Motherhood, Self-Care, and the Art of Living a Life You Love is now available worldwide on Amazon Kindle and my website. This is a book that has come directly from my heart to you, and I wanted to create a book that I needed back in 2012 when I first became a mom, and the overwhelm in mom guilt and just feeling like I wasn't doing or being enough was so intense. Uh, I didn't really know where to turn, and so this is a book that's a mixture of journal prompts, of guided meditations, and of poetry to be a touchstone in your day. So you could literally flip to a page, get the inspiration that you need for the day, and then go off and run it and, and be your best self. And that's really the intention behind the book. I want it to be a vessel for inspiration, for motivation, and just for self-love for all of you beautiful mamas out there who are doing the best you can each and every day. It's a reminder to check in. And so um, I'm just thrilled. And if you do get the book, make sure to tag me at Motherhood Unstressed and I'll share it back out. I'm excited to see where the book goes in the world. And, and I'm confident that the right people will find it at just the right time. Enjoy. Michelle Eichard is an author and member of the Today Show parenting team and NBC News Learn. In this episode, we discuss the key ways you can help your child through the emotional, physical, and social challenges of tweendom and how to communicate in a way that builds trust and emotional stability in the relationship. Her new book, 14 Talks by Age 14, The Essential Conversations You Need to Have with Your Kids Before They Start High School, is out now. And I felt so blessed to have this conversation before my kids get into this age range. I feel like mental preparation, even the emotional preparation for what's coming is so crucial in navigating that time effectively. And Michelle's book, I think, couldn't come out at a better time after this past year with everything being online, emotions running high. I think this is essential reading for any parent, no matter the age of your kids. And I loved Michelle's perspective on this crucial part in every parent and child's life. So I think you're going to love this episode and get a ton of value out of it. If you do, please share it with a friend and of course keep those reviews coming that's what gives life to the show and gets it out to more and more listeners all over the world so please enjoy this episode with michelle eichard well hello michelle welcome to the show i'm so glad that you're here thank you for having me yeah this is this is a heavy hitting topic this is an important topic that we actually haven't covered on the show before but take us back take us through your origin story and the experiences in your life that led you to the work that you're doing now? Sure. So I am 48. I have been working with middle schoolers and their parents um, for 16 years. When I started, my kids were just two and four, and they are now both in college. So this has been um, really the bulk of my adult life has been in this area. And the way that it started was um, I have a background in teaching, and I had a, a two-year-old and was or now almost two-year-old and was pregnant with my second child when I um, I was working in a training capacity for a large company and that company ended up folding. So I was out of work. I said, okay, I have an education background. I can, I can do some tutoring to kind of fill the gaps. And I ended up working with just mostly middle school kids and was um, intended to be sort of an academic coach, but they were telling me stories about what was happening to them socially and emotionally. 
And it just threw me right back to middle school and my own feelings of like friendships ending and being insecure and awkward and all of that. So um, from there, I just decided I really wanted to focus on ways to help kids through middle school and then ultimately ways to help parents help their kids through those years too. Yeah, that's huge. And your book that's out now is 14 Talks by Age 14. And it's talking about that difficult stage of tween teen parenting. And I, I tell you, it's something that I feel like is so pronounced now in, in so, like society. Everyone's talking about, it, especially with technology. Um, but why did you, I mean, I understand your experience with it. But why did you really make this kind of your mission to write a book? That's a great undertaking. Why did you pick <laughs> this particular subject? So the, um, the drive for this book came out of the work I do uh, in a parenting group that I started on Facebook, and it's called Less Stressed Middle School Parents. So um, much like your, your podcast, right? I'm all about relieving some of the stress that comes with yeah. this time of life. So parents there, we have about 7,000 members from across the country and, and in other countries. And often they will say, um, you know, this is on my radar. I know I need to talk to my kid about X, whatever it is, like social media or TikTok or um, pornography or drinking, any anything. But I'm scared to start. I don't want them to, you know, not listen to me. I'm not sure if I'm going to say the right thing. And so often parents will know they need to talk and then not talk because they are afraid to get started. So kind of watching this organically develop in the group, I thought, I really think there can be a universal approach to this that takes away some of the agony and the pain around it and benefits kids because they do need to hear from us even though they shut us out at that age. Yeah. And I love in the book how you said it's like you hit that age 11 stage and then, you know, the daughter is separating herself from the mother. She doesn't want to participate in the inside joke. She doesn't want to go shopping, even to get a manicure. It's like, no, I need my own, you know, secret world now. And you can't be a part of that. And that's got to be so heartbreaking for the parents. I think it feels like rejection. I think it does break a lot of hearts. It feels, um, you know, it can make parents angry. It can make them sad. There's a wide range of very normal, natural reactions to that. And what I say to parents is this phase of your child developing their own identity, like really figuring out who they are apart from you is critical to your child's well-being and health later in life. So it's very hard to be rejected by your kid and have them push you away so that they can go spend time with their friends. But what they're doing is a very important part of development. They are figuring out their own identity. And people who don't do that, they then get ready for the next phase of life, which is getting into relationships with other people. And if they don't have a really strong sense of who they are, that's when you find people who repeat mistakes. They are in codependent relationships over and over, toxic relationships over and over. This episode is brought to you by Haya Vitamins. This is the bright yellow vitamin company that is delivered directly to your door. It's super convenient, and it was created by two dads who were tired of all of the sugar, fillers, gelatin that are in traditional children's vitamins. I mean, it's really incredible the junk that's in these vitamins, and they're giving them to children, marketing to children. Haya Vitamins is different. It's going to give your child all the essential vitamins and nutrients they need to feel their best and to grow at the rate that they should be growing 
uh, with healthy minds and healthy bodies, and none of the sugar that's so prevalent in these other vitamin companies. And of course, if you're a listener of the show, they're going to hook you up with a great deal. You get 50% off your first order when you go to HayaHealth.com forward slash unstressed. That's H-I-Y-A. H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash unstressed and you save 50% on your first order. And then after that, it's delivered directly to your door every month in eco-friendly packaging. So I encourage parents to really think about the long game. Like it's painful right now, but it is the best thing for your kid to start to do this now so that when they get ready to go into more adult relationships, it's healthier. I I just got chills when you were talking because I've never thought about it like that. Like our ability to separate from our parents, hopefully nicely, yeah, like affects how we how we choose a life partner, how we choose a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I've I've never heard it said that way, but it's so spot on. And I can think about friends that I've had in the past who've had dysfunctional relationships, and I look at now their relationships with their parents, and it's like. Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's an aha moment. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's a really um, important order of events and it's universal. Everyone needs to figure this out, but that doesn't make it, you know, not hurt as a parent, but I think it hurts less when you realize it has a purpose. It's not just to hurt you. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think when, at least when I was growing up, my parents looked at it with fear and then that fear turned into anger and no, you're not going to go off and do this. And and it was very like restrictive. And that I'm sure that must be a common reaction in your group and and from the research that you've done. Absolutely. What happens a lot of times is parents will say, "Uh uh-oh, life is opening up for my kid. It's getting dangerous. They're going to be exposed to strangers on the internet and people who think that they look sexy when they're too young to look sexy and kids who want to tempt them to try things they shouldn't. Therefore, I need to clamp down. So I'm going to become this very controlling micromanager out of love, out of an attempt to keep them safe. But what happens is by the time your child is 11, they are at an age where their brain is telling them it's time to take more risks. It's the only way we grow up. If we, if our brain is always like, you don't need to take a risk. You can just stay very cozy in your parents' house for the rest of your life, you know, be best friends always. Um, then you don't learn how to drive a car or go to college or get a job or an apartment of your own because your brain isn't saying, go, be independent, take risks. So that happens naturally. And when parents become afraid and they clamp down, the kid's brain is like, well, I can't take risks out in the open, but my mm-hmm. brain is telling me I have to, so I better go underground. Yeah. And that's when you see kids who are like, I will set up social media accounts that my parents don't know about mm-hmm. or a fake name or sneak out at night to go to a party. Yeah. So it's totally. a very fine balance. I mean, they need boundaries, but they also really need independence and the ability to do some stuff that pushes them outside of their comfort zone. Okay, then to attack the the issue head on, how do our parents do that in a way that is productive and not destructive, you know, and and in a way that can actually open up communication, you know, to where, to where it's supposed to be, or even, you know, an ideal version with their tween. Sure. Um, That's the perfect question, because how do you strike a balance between keeping your kids safe and also not clamping down so much that they rebel? Um, The way I like to think of this is I encourage parents to take a shift from being the micromanager to the assistant manager. And what I mean by that is I tell parents to think about the worst boss they ever had and really think about like, what are those characteristics? So often parents will say things like, 
oh, the worst boss I ever had was very controlling or highly emotional. I never knew what to expect or really inconsistent with me or, you know, didn't appreciate that I had a private life out of work or, you know, whatever it is. So you can, everybody's had a terrible boss. You can think back on that, come up with a list. And then if you flip those things around, you will have a great job description for being a parent of a middle schooler. So (laughs) you still want to set boundaries. You want to keep them safe, but you want to let them you know, try new things. And if they make a mistake, you give them an opportunity to fix it themselves. You're not rushing in all the time to clean up after them. Um, If they do something great, you don't take the credit. You give them the Mm. credit, just like a good boss would do. You encourage them, you believe in them, you support them, you're there to listen, um, and you trust, you know, that's a big Mm. piece of it too. So what happens if trust is broken in that situation? What do you do then? That's a great question. And I promise you, trust will be broken. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't want anybody to go into the middle school years thinking there is a way to parent perfectly and that you can keep kids from making mistakes. This age is ripe for making mistakes. So go into it knowing, okay, mistakes are going to be made. So what do you do when that happens? Um, The best thing you can do is not respond overly emotionally. You, You can have emotions. You can feel them. Save them if you can for your friends or your partner or whoever you have in your life that is roughly the same age, or, you know, at least a grown up. Um, But when you have a really strong emotional reaction to your child's mistakes, they are going to stop coming to you and letting you know if something bad has happened because they're afraid of your reaction. Your child is operating um, mostly through the emotional center of their brain at this phase. They're not thinking critically, analytically. Um, They're very impulsive. So when we add our emotions onto our kids' emotions, they're like, forget it. I cannot. It's way too much. So you can set boundaries. You can have rules. You can say no. You can do all the things you need to do, but you want to do it in a way that is like, like pretend the kid isn't your kid, (laughs) right? Pretend your entire world doesn't rest on this. Like you're saying it to a neighbor's child or someone else. So you're going to just remove the fear and the anger from your face and from your voice and just clearly set your limits. And if a mistake is made, you can say, you know, there, there are going to be some consequences here and let's talk about them. And don't doubt that I love you for a second. And that I'm, I understand that mistakes happen. And what we're going to focus is where do we go from here? So you issue them the pip and then you get on with your day. (laughs) No, but how much of the parent's job of, of self-development, self-awareness, self-growth, how much of that is actually on them and not even on the child? Like, it sounds like to, to be able to control your emotions like that, like, my God, you've got you've to do some internal work on yourself. You really do. And I think that that is a huge part of feeling good about your parenting is so often these par- parenting targets for raising a kid are very undefined. So you look at some of the thorny topics that are in the book, for example, like talking to your kid about sex sexuality, dating, things like that down the road. Um, Unless you're really clear on what your goals and values are there, it's a very hard thing to parent your kid through because just being vague about it does nothing for a kid. If you're just like, well, I hope you make good choices, that's fine. But like, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. You've got to be crystal clear. Like, I think it's appropriate at this age if you're going to have a relationship that you might kiss, but you can't do anything else. Like you've got to be pretty explicit because how else would your child know other than what their friends are telling them, right? 
So I think you're right. I think a lot of the work is kind of pre-work and mm-hmm. you mentioned that your kids are a little bit younger. That's why I'm a huge fan of talking to parents of younger kids. Cause if you can start to think about this stuff ahead of time, you'll have a much better roadmap and vocabulary and your conversations will be more meaningful later. Yeah. Even you just comparing it to a boss and employee situation. I think that I've never heard it put that way. And I think that that's so brilliant because it really does take the emotionality and the reactivity out of it. You know, like if you really do like, this is my, this is my business. My home is my business. This child is, doesn't work for me, but you know, I'm responsible for them. I need to be a leader. And that's really, I think what this show is about is helping these mothers who are tuning in to be leaders for their families, for their children, for themselves. And so that was, when I said aha moment, I really meant that. Like that was huge. I think for so many people listening too. Um, how did you decide to narrow it down to these particular 14? Cause it had to be such a hard thing to do. There's so many things that you need to, to cover. It was really a monumental task because you're right. There are thousands of conversations that I want parents to have with their kids. I mean, from like the most minute stuff to to big global concepts, I think they're all important to discuss. So what I did is quite literally, um, I wrote hundreds of ideas down on index cards and I I rented an Airbnb and I scattered them over the floor for a week. (laughs) And I just took a little writer's retreat and I walked over them and I looked at them and I thought about them long and hard until I saw patterns and trends. I joke sometimes that it was like um, hunting for a serial killer on a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) They're pinned up on the wall everywhere. And suddenly you're like connecting red string. I'm picturing the meme right now. (laughs) It's always sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's funny because when I did that, I, I took a picture of the cards all over the floor and I posted it on my social media and captioned it. I've almost solved this murder. (laughs) But I did that until I saw like okay, it's important to to talk about this little thing and this little thing, but they are really nestled under the broader concept of X, Y, or Z. So for example, um, deodorant was on a card because parents of middle schoolers tell me all the time, like, why won't my kid wear deodorant? Mm -hmm. What do I do? So deodorant goes on a card, but suicide goes on a card. Mm. And they are vastly different topics but they all come under this big umbrella of taking care of yourself, right? Yeah. So uh, that's how I, I how I got to my 14 essential conversations. They are really broad, but if you go to the index of the book, you're likely to find the minutia of what you want to talk about as well. Yeah, that index is crucial. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> what was the most surprising thing when, when completing the book, when even just writing it in the process? Did anything surprise you? I mean, you've been doing this work for so long. There were a couple, I like these juicy scientific facts or research things that I think are really interesting. One of the things that I loved was um, a statistic that I found through the research that said 1% of friendships that form in seventh grade last through high school. Mm. And I think that is so crucial to normalizing middle school friendships for kids because I hear from parents all the time who say my child is heartbroken. Their their friend who we've been friends with the family since they were babies doesn't want to be friends with them anymore. And when you're going through it or when your child is going through it, it feels like it's just happening to you and like it's cruel and painful. But I would say it happens to most people. 
And, yeah. and if you are still best friends with the person you met in seventh grade, you won the lottery because mm. the odds of that are extraordinary. So that was something that was really cool to find out. Do they differentiate between girl friendships and boy friendships? Because I can attest, like girl friendships explode those years. But I, I wasn't really sure about boys. That's a great question. So I don't think that this um, sir, this research did, but I but I agree with you because boys are developmentally about three years behind girls in middle school in terms of puberty and and where they are kind of socially emotionally. So then you're looking at like 10th grade for boys yeah. and that's easy to maintain a friendship 10 through 12. Right. Then you go. And also I just think boys friendships are structured a little bit differently than girls just, just painting with a very broad brush there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found having a boy and a girl that um, the girl friendships were like soulmate situations and the boys were like, yeah, I'm hanging out with this guy this weekend and that guy that weekend. And you know, it's not as intense. Yeah. Like adulthood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more like adulthood. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I could totally see your next book being just about that. That's incredible. That's <laughs> I'm on um, different ideas all the time. I know. New murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk to us about the conversation crashers, because when I was reading that part of the book, I was like, my parents said that they, I was getting triggered when I was reading it. I mean, it's, it was almost like you were looking into my own life. So I know so many people reading the book are going to feel that way too. Talk to us about what conversation crashers are and then how we can maneuver around that. Sure. So the way that the book is set up, the first three chapters are kind of foundational um, stuff you and I've been talking about today. So how are their brains working? What's in their hearts? How do we kind of understand what's happening developmentally to these kids? And then there's the bag of tricks chapter, which is like things, the assistant manager, think of it that way, tricks that can help you through it. And then conversation crashers. And then we get into the meaty topics that we're going to talk about. But the preliminary stuff is in the first three. And then I say, like, choose your own adventure. Go to whatever chapter you need at the time. But you have to read the first three to get it. So conversation crashers are things that kids this age in particular really don't respond well to and that many parents rely on Mm -hmm. um, when they're talking to their kids. So things like um, assuming how a kid feels or will feel in the future, like, you're going to regret this down the road. A, a child who is asserting their own independence does not want to be told how they feel or how they might feel in the future. So that shuts a conversation down pretty quickly. Um, there's a lot of passive aggressive stuff that happens, I think, when you're talking to kids this age, because as we discussed, that feeling of rejection, it, it sort of brings up this like, well, fine, then go spend time with your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not helping anything, right? Right. So recognizing when your feelings are hurt, what you can say instead. Um, Some parents are like desperate to remain friends with their kids at this Mm -hmm. time. Oh, the breakup is natural and it's supposed to happen. So they overshare. Um, I think they talk too much about their own stories and personal life and mistakes or parties or whatever they did. And and that weirds kids out. to hear that personal stuff too much. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there are a bunch of examples that are universal. And then for each topic, I give conversation crashers related to that specific thing. So for example, there's a chapter on independence and kids wanting to go out and be in the world and explore. And one of the conversations there that is specific to that topic is, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, um, 
uh, uh, so many parents say it. It's not, oh, it's it's not you that I'm worried about. It's everyone else. Yeah. That's why, that's why you can't go out, right? Mm-hmm. To, to the ice rink with your buddies, you know? Yeah. And and that's a real conversation crusher because a kid hears that and it, and it rings disingenuous mm-hmm. because you're saying like, I trust you completely. It's just, I think everybody else is scary or bad or going to do something wrong. And the fact is that that's always going to be the case in the world. There isn't going to be a day when perverts go away and criminals don't exist and people don't run red lights, right? So it is a matter of whether or not you trust your child to navigate those circumstances. So instead of saying that, you might say, I know this is something you really want and let's set this as a goal for yourself. And if you can show me you can do these things, then we'll be there. And then you can go out on your own without me. Um, So those are some examples. Yeah, no, and I love that. I mean, I I wish my parents would have taken that tack because I feel like it would have just alleviated so much stress in the home and just resentment in the home and just on both sides, you know? I didn't want to make my parents' life hell, but I'm sure I did, you know, because there was just this there was just this border in between us and you're completely opening that up for so many people. So that's, that's amazing. What do you think though is, is the most pressing issue on the cards that you were looking at? You're like, this is, this is the big one. It's probably social media right now. And I, I would say like, that's, again, that's just my kind of hunch on what it is for every family. It's going to be different for some family. It's going to be cutting for another family. It's going to be, um, figuring out how to navigate gender identity. You know, every family is going to have something else. But as a broad generalization, I feel like I'm hearing the most fear from parents around their kids and social media and technology. Yeah, because I almost feel like that kind of feeds everything else that's already going on. You know, if you have anorexia or you have, you know, self-esteem issues, and then you put a magnifying glass on that through social media, it's like, what are we going to do? You're right. That's such a good way of putting it. And I don't think I thought of that, that it, it is the spotlight right now. It's where we, it's where we can look and see all of these things happening. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good point. My feeling on social media is that, um, it is a tool and like any tool, it's going to be good and it's going to be bad. I, I, you know, I'm not opposed to kids being on social media at all. Um, I just think it requires some real interaction from the parents. And I don't mean interaction like I installed some software to monitor for bad words. <laughs> I yeah. mean, really talking about what kids are seeing and what they're feeling. And if you can start off having these conversations in my book on some of the lighter things in there, um, then you earn your kids trust. They know that you're a safe person to talk to about this stuff. And then the harder topics like this or sex or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, they begin to happen because you've sort of proven that you can listen and you don't freak out. Yeah. As a parent, how do you know that it's safe ground or that your child does trust you? Do you ever really know? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, I think you can have a pretty good read on your kid in the sense of, are they talking? Are they mm-hmm. keeping the door shut all the time? Again, a natural thing to do as an adolescent yeah. to cocoon in your room. But is there a little bit of balance there? Um, there are going to be things you don't know. Your child has a private life. They have inner thoughts. They have, you know, things that they won't tell you and that you won't be aware of. And that's okay. As long as you're kind of aware of um, big red flags. And for some of these topics, I, I list them out in the book. So like, 
you don't need to worry if your kid is spending a ton of time in their room, but if they n- never <laughs> ever hang out with you or engage with other friends or mm. want to go, you know, be with peers, people their own age, maybe you've got some concerns there. So uh, I don't know that you'll ever know everything for sure. And I don't know that you want to know everything. Yeah. Parents sometimes think they want to know everything their child is texting with their friends, but I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> like we all deserve private thoughts even, and to share yeah. our private thoughts with our closest friends is a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Um, NSA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. They just ping my phone. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And I think, um, do you think it's more of an issue of American parenting or, you know, cause I, I was speaking to Pamela Druckerman, who's a French author, and she talks about how in American relationships, you know, American marriages feel like they have to lay it all out, tell their partner everything. You know, I thought about this woman the other day, or I looked at this guy and it's like the French are like, you don't have to do that. That's a bad idea. So it seems like, do you think it's a, an American parenting thing a slant, or do you think it's the same all over? We all worry. I'm sure there are cultural differences. This is not something I've studied, so I can't say um, with any kind of authority other than cu- culturally, sure, there are there are ways that we do things differently. I was talking with someone about this the other day regarding parenting that in some cultures, there's no concept of the terrible twos, and therefore the twos are not as terrible because oh, wow. of prophecy that they sort of fulfill. Um, and I think mm. it's the same for tweens and teens, that if we go into this not thinking it's going to be the worst, it might not be the worst. Um, so I don't, I, I think you're probably right. I think there is this feeling in America that to be a good parent, you must know everything that's going on. Don't let your kids make mistakes. Um, you know, be sort of perfect and grind it out. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, as much as this book is for the parent, I also see it as such a bomb for the kids, you know, for the parent who's going to read this and then they're going to interact a little bit differently or say something a little bit differently, like from the conversation starters, and that's going to change their relationship. And that's going to change how the kid even thinks about themselves and their own sense of independence. I think that's such a gift. Thank you. That is really my hope. And I should mention that, um, one of the things that I've done is with the book, I've created a companion course. So if a parent, the book is written for parents, um, but then you might finish it and be like, okay, I, I believe her. I think it's important to do this, but I'm not sure still how to yeah. get my kid on board. So the online course is for you and your kid to do together. And it's like uh, every month, a new 30 minute module comes out and that's an opportunity for you and your kid to play like it's not meant to be sit and watch lectures but like take buzzfeed style quizzes together to talk about this topic and you know um so i hope to your point that kids get a lot of value out of this too that's brilliant i think that that's good because we can all intellectualize it and think oh yeah this is a good idea but to actually do something with it that's next level i love that (laughs) okay so to round out the interview with everything that you have studied and learned and experienced in life what would you say to the woman listening to this who's who's in it in the thick of it right now what would you say to her oh i would say i hope you are doing something in your life that is entirely for you. The the advice I give to parents every time I speak at a school or a community organization or whatever it is, is by the time your kid starts middle school, 
I hope you have a hobby. I really do. Your child can't be your hobby at this point. And, and I'm, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I mean, time is going to fly and then your kid's going to be gone. And I want you to have a really rich life being a mom and being a woman outside of being a mom. So whatever it is that brings you total joy and happiness that has nothing to do with being a mother, I hope you spend some time doing that and nurturing your own soul and your own happiness as well. It's a great example for your kids and it's a great way to kind of preserve your mental health through this. Mm, Amen to that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michelle. Where can the audience find you online and get the book? Ah, so my website is my full name. It's Michelle Eichard. It's two L's in Michelle and then I-C-A-R-D. Looks like I-Card. Um, that's my website, michelleeichard.com. And my Instagram is the same. And then uh, my parenting group is Less Stressed Middle School Parents. That's on Facebook. Beautiful. And all of this, of course, will be in the show notes, guys. Michelle, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I got a really good aha moment out of it. I know so many other people are too. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode was brought to you by Motherhood Unstressed CBD. This is my line of organic USA-grown hemp that was specifically designed to help you, the listener, battle stress and anxiety naturally. And if you have trouble sleeping, this is a great product to use to bring in sleep naturally. You'll go down when you should go down and get the best sleep of your life. There's actually studies that show that CBD helps elongate the REM period of sleep. So you're really getting that restorative sleep that you need to feel your best and to function at your highest point. So you can purchase Motherhood Unstressed CBD at the website, motherhoodunstressed.com, and be sure to use the code podcast to save. You've been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that we got this time together today. And if you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it out on your social media. Make sure to tag us at Motherhood Unstressed. Connect with us at Motherhood Unstressed. I'd love to connect with you uh, and see where the work has gone in the world. And make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss out on an amazing interview with an incredible guest or our weekly guided meditations every Wednesday. Till next time, see ya.